if a if a psychologist was to ask me, hey, tell me about your life or let me know more about you, I probably would get one playlist of songs and and he'd probably be able to analyze me with that playlist. Um, so they have a some of these songs have a meaning to, they just meaningful to me. Well, I heard this song as I was preparing this, uh, this study and it reminded me of a lot about my life, a lot about my life as a Christian. And it, uh, you know, whether it was as a new Christian or whether it was a, um, a wrong Christian or a backslidden Christian, um, it really, it's still to this day, it has a special place in my heart. And I think it's relevant to our study this, this morning. And I just want to share the lyrics um, with you and what it says. And the song is called, you might have heard it, it's called Love Song for a Savior, and it's by Jars of Clay. And again, this, was, this came out in 1998. And the lyrics go, in, in open fields of wildflowers, she breathes the air and flies away. She thanks her Jesus for the for the daisies and the roses in no simple language. Someday she'll understand the meaning of it all. He is more than the laughter or the stars in the heaven, as close as a heartbeat or a song on her lips. Someday she'll trust him and learn how to see him. Someday he'll call her and she'll come running. She'll fall on his arms and tears will fall down and she'll pray. I want to fall in love with you. I want to fall in love with you. Sitting silent, wearing Sunday best, the sermon echoes through the walls. A great salvation through it calls to the people who stare into nowhere and can't feel the chains on their souls. He's more than the laughter of the stars of the heaven, as close as the heartbeat or a song on her lips. Someday she'll trust him and learn how to see him. Someday he'll call us and we'll come running and fall in his arms and the tears will fall down and we'll pray, I want to fall in love with you. We want to pray, we want to pray, it seems easy to call you Savior, not close enough to call you God. So as I sit and think of the words I can mention to show you my devotion, I want to fall in love with you. And uh, again, I, I don't give it any justice, I mean, the, but the song is beautiful. And like I said, it, it, it does have a special meaning to my heart. Um, this morning, um, last week actually, after having spoke on the topic of divorce, and remarriage, uh, Jesus has a couple of interesting interactions that tell us more about his nature, about who he is. This morning we'll see the affection he displayed towards children, and he also the incredible love and patience he, he showed towards an empty young man. What I hope you'll see this morning is the importance faith and trust has when it comes to the kingdom of God. And, of, and if we desire to inherit eternal life. So at this moment, if you have your Bibles or if there's, if there's a Bible in front of you, please uh, turn to Mark chapter 10. And if I'm not mistaken, again, it's in page 558 or 559. Um, so we'll be in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse, we're going to be starting in verse 13. And what I'll do is read our first story and then speak on it a little bit, and then, I'll, uh, and then we'll, we'll read the other half of the story. So it says, 
Verse 13 says, Some people were bringing little children to him, so he might touch, touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I assure you, whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. So verse 13 begins with some people were bringing little children to Jesus so that he might touch them. Now, according to some scholars, the way this passage was written, it's believed that these children were being brought to Jesus in order to be dedicated. However, this was also the first instance where we see people bringing, Jesus, bringing children to Jesus in order to be dedicated. Now, to this day, as a result, um, baby dedications are a common practice in many Christian churches and denominations, uh, like I said, to this day. And here at Fresh Vision Church, uh, we seek to continue this tradition of baby dedications by bringing them forward to the Lord as well. All we do is just simply, we bring them forward with the parents uh, before the congregation in order to pray over them and their parents. So that we, we do, we continue that tradition. What we also see in this verse is, is that the disciples were taking it upon themselves to rebuke the parents of these children and rebuking these children. But the thing is, is that they, it, it wasn't that they didn't want these children around Jesus or thought they were a nuisance. They had already observed how much Jesus loved children, how much he cared for them. You see, as they were bringing these children, as they were actually making their way, as they were beginning to make their way to Jerusalem, they were beginning to focus more on working to achieve Jesus' purpose. They weren't really enjoying the moment. They weren't really enjoying what was going on then and there. They were just too, well, we got to get, you know, the, Jesus has a plan, and he has a timing, he has a schedule, we got to get him to it. You know, we can't be wasting any time. Um, these disciples just weren't enjoying the moment. They thought that his time would be better spent with adults and just, you know, blessing them, again, healing them, um, driving out demons. They just, you know, again, it wasn't necessarily a, you know, that they thought that children were just nothing. They just, I guess they were just uh, more concerned with other things. Well, we come to discover that although their intentions were good, the way they were going about doing it, the way they were going about respecting Jesus' time and purpose was just, was just wrong. An illustration, I guess I can, I can, an example I guess I can give you was, is if I was one of the president's hounders and he came to El Paso to one of the parks here and to give a speech um, or to you know, commemorate something. And then as one of his hounders, as he is at this park, you know, children, all these children were asking me, hey, get the president to, to uh, play, catch the ball with us, or throw the football around. And me saying, you know what, no, he doesn't have time, he's busy schedule, he's got to go here, he's got to go there. Um, but then afterwards he says, no, let me, let me play some ball, let me play some ball with these kids. You know? And I, I, that's essentially here what's, what's going on. You know, again, I don't have a problem with kids, but knowing that I have a VIP or someone, you know, important, um, I would have been more concerned with his time rather than just 
enjoying the situation and what's going on. Well, Jesus sees and understands what's going on here and just doesn't like it at all. He doesn't like it at all, so he decides to do something about it. So he tells his disciples, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I assure you, whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Here we see Jesus giving two commands, to allow the children to come and to stop hindering them from doing so. The kingdom of God Jesus is referring to is God's rule over one's own life. Now this would have had an immediate effect on the disciples since he'd already been teaching them about what the kingdom of God was like. We've already seen a few studies in, our previous, in the previous chapters of Jesus saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. So that would have automatically gone off in, you know, in their emotional sensors in their, uh, in, as they heard it. But this, this statement also had a deeper spiritual impact uh, to it as well. One, uh, one that briefly touched upon back in Mark chapter 9, verse 37. Now imagine once the disciples complied, the floodgates opened and every type of child. I can just imagine that once the, the disciples were like, yeah, yeah, let's, okay, we'll, we'll comply, that just a flood of kids just surrounded Jesus, just wanted to be around Jesus, to laugh and to play and to, to just be around him so that he can touch them. And it says that he laid his hands on them and he blessed them. Now the immediate context of verses 14 and 15 revealed the strong love and affection that Jesus had towards, his towards these children. We've already seen in the previous nine chapters of other instances of how he was willing to help suffering children and their parents. Now in this particular instance, in what's going on here in this story, he want, all he wanted to do was just to be with them and bless them. Now as believers, we must also have this heart towards every child. Not just our own children, but other children as well. Children that aren't necessarily ours as well. It's always kind of, kind of bothered me, I guess, moved me in the wrong way when I've heard a brother in the Lord or you know, a sister in the Lord say, you know what, I, I'm not really a kid person. You know, they make me feel uncomfortable. I just, you know, I, I just, I'm more at ease with other adults and having adult conversations. Our story here tells us that, you know, Jesus was no way like that. And if we truly desire to be like Jesus, we ought to have the heart of Jesus. Now, every Christian, I do believe that every Christian who has the Holy Spirit within them shouldn't ignore, fear, or be anxious around children. I believe every single adult who says, they're, who says they're a Christian, who has the Holy Spirit inside of them, has a blessing that they can offer every child they meet. That's why I'm a strong advocate of Christian discipleship and mentorship programs like Big, Big Brothers and Big Sisters. There are too many children who are growing up without a positive male or female role model and that need that spirit that need spiritually mature adults to help guide them in the wrong direction. You know, as a personal story, I, I I did grow up with a father, but he wasn't really that positive male role model that I needed in my life. 
And I never really had that in my life. And I think that if I did, maybe I would have made some right choices and decisions. I don't know. Again, everything is in God's hands. And he decided to do, you know, to give me the life he, he gave me for a reason. But I think there's just so many things that we can do for so many of the young men and women who don't have anyone positive in their lives. And I think that if, you know, those single men can just spend time with an at-risk youth, maybe they can prevent, um, help prevent, you know, a life of, of crime. I don't know. You know, there's many things that could be done. And as a father, you know, it's important to invest that time, love, affection with your own children. And if you can, share it with other children as well who, who need it, who maybe don't have it at home, who are growing up in single-parent homes, who mother don't have that, whose mother don't have that um, male figure at home. You know, I know that's my heart and my desire. It's just whoever I come across. And that's why I think one of the reasons why I, I have a heart for the youth, and I spent many years in, in youth ministry, is because I wanted to be that positive example, that positive person in someone's life. Whether it, even if it was just one person, I wanted to be make an impact. You know, something again that I wish would have been done to me. Now, if you want some advice on how you can begin being more comfortable around children. I suggest these, these very simple and easy steps that just don't take a lot and you, you can begin with. I, I recommend all you do is just acknowledge them. Just lower yourself to their level and just look them in the eye and just smile. You know, and, and you, you'll be able to see like how much they appreciate that and how much they're able to open up to you. It's kind of intimidating, you know, when you're meeting someone, when a child meets someone new, and they see this big, strong, burly man or whatever, and they're like, oh, who's this guy, you know? Um, so yeah, you know, I mean, that's, that's, how, that's just some easy steps you can take in order to really just um, open up to, to children. Now, verses 14 and 15 also have a spiritual implication. Jesus was also applying that unless one receives God's rule with a childlike faith and dependence upon God, he will never enter his kingdom. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that a Christian ought to be childish. I'm not saying to act like a child and be a child as a Christian. I'm saying what I mean is that a Christian ought to be childlike. His faith ought to be childlike. What does that child faith, childlike faith resemble? A childlike faith has absolute confidence on the person they trust. A childlike faith spends more time enjoying rather than explaining. A childlike faith receives freely rather than feeling that they have to earn something in order to earn everything they get. Let me just tell you, brothers and sisters, that you have a Father in heaven who you can absolutely trust and have confidence that he will never break, that will never break, he will never break his promises to you. 
who can absolutely you have a father in heaven who can you you can absolutely enjoy without having to understand and explain everything about him you have a father in heaven who you can receive blessings from without having to earn them and you also have a savior you also have a savior in Jesus Christ who you can trust because he knows exactly what you've been through and what you're going through now and will never, ever, ever abandon you. Who wants you to, you have a savior who, uh, in Jesus who wants you to enjoy the meaning of his life, death, and resurrection. And you have a savior in Jesus who wants you to receive the forgiveness for all your sins and accept the gift of eternal life that he offered on the cross. Guys and gals, the kingdom of God, he says, belongs to such as these. If your desire, if you truly desire to be part of his kingdom, then learn to have, learn what it means to have that childlike faith. Don't take everything just so serious and don't be, you know, one of these serious religious folks. Just enjoy the presence of Jesus. If you can't, again, understand everything, you can't explain everything, it's okay. You know, children, when you ask them, hey, you know, tell me about the sun or tell me how the earth, you know, the, the, the solar, you know, system works and they'll say, you know what, I don't know, but it's great, look at the sun, you know, it's just it's awesome. You know, they are so innocent, you know, and, and you can tell that they enjoy just life and the things that they learn. Just pray. When you pray, pray like a child. It doesn't have to be all complicated. It doesn't have to be all, you know, wordy. Just pray with your own words. Pray whatever's going on with you in your own language and your own style. Again, pray like a child, not, not like a teenager with a bunch of curse words, you know, I'm sure. I'm not one to believe that, you know, the Lord wants to hear, you know, curse words in, in, in prayer. Um, but, you know, just, again, just with the innocence of a child. Again, if that's your desire, learn how to have that childlike faith. And also, just don't reject, refuse, ridicule, and stop those who display such childlike faith. You don't know where they're at in their walk. They may be new Christians. They may be just new believers that have still yet to learn about many things, have yet to learn about all these things that God wants to show them. Allow God to do that. Yes, you know, be there if, you know, if they have any questions or need advice. But again, just allow them to be. You know? and, and times, yeah, you know, there may be times where you may need to correct, you know, a, a new Christian and say, it's, you know, you need to watch out for that. Be careful about that. But again, allow God. You know, God is the one who's transforming. He has the power. He's the one doing that work inside of them. You know, don't reject them, refuse them, ridicule them. Don't do what these disciples were doing to these children and hindering or stopping people from coming to Jesus Christ or these children coming to Jesus Christ. Now let's um, move on. Let's move forward to our, to our next story. And we begin in verse 17. It says, As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why 
Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good but one, but one, God. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, you, do not defraud honor your father and your mother. He said to them, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Then looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. But he, this young man, was stunned at this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. The story begins with Jesus and his disciples resuming their journey towards Jerusalem. When this young man runs up to Jesus, kneels before him and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, according to other, the other Gospels about this man, what, we've, what we know about him, to, that in addition of being rich, as we see here, he was also young, according to Matthew 19. And he was also a ruler in Luke 18. So here in this story, what we have here is a young man who had everything going for him. He had money. He had fame. He had success. And he, he, yeah, he, he probably had power as well. But the way he approached Jesus also tells us that he's aware that something still isn't right. There's something still missing inside of him. And, and all these things that he had wasn't fulfilling that. He was troubled by an inward conviction that despite his worldly status, despite of all the things that he had, he still wasn't able to attain that one thing that he wanted the most. He was searching, he was searching for a way to, to answer that deep question that we all have thought about in the quietness, maybe of our, in, in our beds at night in the middle of, you know, when we can't sleep or whether we're just driving in the road. It's that one question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, again, his inward conviction becomes apparent when he, when he, uh, with the first words that he speaks. And also this young man's greeting and question also tells, tells us a few things. It tells us that his, the emptiness he was feeling within couldn't be satisfied with what he already had. And he knew that the only person qualified to answer that question was this man, Jesus, who had somehow, some way, made a strong impression upon him. It might have been maybe during one of his teachings, he heard one of his teachings, or he saw one of the miracles that he, that he conducted. We're not giving the details. But we know that the way he approached them, he knew that this man, Jesus, was going to be able to answer the question that was burning deep within his heart. Now, there's empty, the emptiness this man was feeling is something that everyone, I believe, struggles with. Especially those who are more prominent socially and economically. Now, I can't tell you how many testimonies I've heard from you know, personal testimonies I've heard from people or even on YouTube or, you know, some video about how, um, how their testimonies, them walking with the Lord began in a similar, began similarly in a similar story. 
But the other thing I've noticed, and I'm sure all of us have seen this on on, uh, on TV or in the news, um, TMZ, whatever it may be, uh, some celebrity just completely wrecking their life. Wrecking their life um, because of some bad choice or decision. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, sometimes um, they make good choices and decisions. But the thing I've noticed is that they, they don't run and kneel to Jesus. They usually run and kneel to something else that to, that fit, will fill that that will maybe try to make it, that will try to fill that emptiness. Now, for some, it's good causes like philanthropy and and, and positive causes. But for others, as I've mentioned, it's drugs, alcohol, sex, false religions and more material possessions. They either try to suppress the truth or try to suppress these, these, th these empty feelings and try to hide them by filling themselves up with drugs, rock. I mean, and I know, believe me, because I, I used to do this. The conviction I felt in my heart because of the choices and decisions I made, I used to numb them out with many of these things, especially it just, you know, I didn't want to think about these things that were just occurring, reoccurring in my mind. You know, things from my past, things, the guilty feelings I was, I was feeling at that, at that moment. And just the thought of trying to forget the thoughts of, Lord, what's going to happen to me when I die? Again, you know, there's, fortunately we see so many of these cases on TV and it's sad, it really does. It's, it breaks my heart when I hear of someone who had so much going for them, whether they're young or older and that they, they die tragically because of an overdose or because they, they were drinking and driving or because, you know, contacted, you know, contracted some disease or whatever it may be. It's just, it, it does, it breaks my heart. And I always ask myself, did they finally find what they were looking for? And I don't know. I mean, again, we won't know until we get to heaven, you know, who's there and who's not there. But I do. My heart afterwards just with the family. My heart and my prayers with the family that they'll find some answers and they'll be able to find peace through Jesus Christ because of, of, of a tragedy like that. Now it says in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. What this verse tells us is that those who are searching to fill that void may seem to be doing the right thing, may seem to be going in the right direction. It feels good at first, but in the end, those ways will not save. Fortunately for the smart ones, those who do come running to Jesus and kneel before him, they come to understand him and they come to fall in love with him and they come to give and surrender their lives over to him. These, I believe, are the smart ones. And you know who they are when their lives completely begin to change. And it's no longer about living for this world, living to attain the treasures and living to, 
to gather all these material possessions and to gather all this, uh, you know, all these women, whatever it may be, you know, they concerned just about pleasing God and being obedient to him. Now, before responding to this man's question, Jesus asks him, asks him, why do you call me good? This question was meant to help this young man understand who it was he was speaking with. Did he, did this man truly understand, recognize Jesus as God? If so, was he open to Jesus' words? Was he really open to it, to hear it? Jesus then responds by recalling five of the Ten Commandments the man probably knew about. He More than likely, he knew about. Interestingly, interestingly, these commandments he mentioned here were commandments that govern how people were to relate to one another. These were very simple and common laws that even pagans at that time, and even today, they keep among among they, they keep they keep among one another. Very simple again, not complicated. It's about how we treat one another. So for this man to say, yeah, I've kept these, it just, you know, it would have been very easy for pretty much anybody to keep them. But but that's besides the point, again, this um, in what could have seemed what could have seemed a sense of relief for this young man was when he heard this coming from Jesus, hey, you got to do these things. He kind of just, I can imagine, just a sense of relief or a, a big sigh coming through him saying, teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. So not only was this, young, was this man young, not only was he rich, not only was he famous and successful, but now you can add to his, to his resume that he was a religious man as well. He was a person with high morals and integrity. He would be that person that you would see walking down the street and say, man, that's, that's one stand-up guy. You know, he would be that guy that you would see in, in church volunteering and being a part of this ministry, being a part of that, you know, that other ministry and saying, you know what, that's one stand-up guy. He would be that co-worker that shows up to work before everybody else and leaves after everybody else leaves. He was a guy that just treated others well. By the way, again, by the way he answered. Unfortunately, as was the case with a lot of religious people, this man failed to understand that the demands of God's laws are far deeper than just outward appearances or outward obedience. He, this young man, had a superficial understanding of the good and a super, superficial understanding of the law. He harbored the hope within himself. And this is something, again, that most religious people do. He harbored that hope within himself that he can earn his way to heaven by just being a good person. Now, today, if you were to ask most people to describe Jesus Christ, what do you think they would say? One of the most common responses that I've heard, that you may have heard before, was that he was a good teacher. And this is, again, the response that this man gave. However, 
their description is more than likely a superficial understanding of what true goodness is. Have you really thought about that word? Have you really considered what does good mean? What is good? There isn't, there really isn't any thought, you know, he doesn't really put any thought into, or anybody for that matter, puts any thought into what that means, what that means when they say Jesus was a good teacher. Fact is, people typically measure goodness in a comparative way by relating it to something or somebody else or someone else. You know, it's, they, if I was a, someone was to ask me, hey, um, what do you think of Anthony? Oh, he's a good, he's a good kid. But I would compare it. I probably would use that, or I probably would compare him to someone who maybe wasn't as good. You know. I probably would compare him to one of my other kids who isn't as, no, I'm just kidding. But, but uh, you know, uh, people normally do that. That's, that's what they do. They compare, they compare it to something else by relating it, you know, to something else or someone else. What they do is they fail to realize that, what they fail to realize is that genuine goodness is defined by the character of God. And his character is made manifest in the law. This here. This here is a standard that a person's goodness ought to be compared against. A person's goodness ought to be compared to that which is ultimately good, which is God. And again, what and it's manifest that God's character is manifest manifest in, in the law. Now when people understand this, sooner or later they come to realize that against this standard that against this standard alone, no one, absolutely no one is good. That's why Paul reiterated the words, Paul reiterated the words in Psalm 14 when he said, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. What's amazing is that Jesus not only kept the entire law, but he also fulfilled it. So in the truest sense of the word, Jesus Christ is absolutely good. And because of God's grace, because of God's mercy, and because of God's love for us, the moment Jesus died on the cross, his goodness was placed upon those who trusted and believe in him. Ladies and gentlemen, it's important to come to a proper understanding of what goodness is. Why? Because it helps put this world into a clearer perspective so that we may share the gospel more effectively. It brings this world in there. You're like, oh, that's why that, pers that person, you know, they, they do this because they think it's good. But again, it gives you the opportunity as a Christian to be able to share, hey, you know what? Let me tell you what good really is. Jesus Christ is good. God is good. What the Holy Spirit has to offer you, what he does in your life is good. That's what we need to compare the things of this world, the opinions, the philosophies, the, you know, the people of this world. We have to compare all those things to that, to the our, to our triune God, and even ourselves too. 
maybe to put us into check or you know put us to check us am I walking with the Lord am I compared to what who he is and what he's done are the decisions and choices I'm making right now are they good something to help us think about now this young man may not have known what he was speaking who he was speaking with but what, what he was saying about Jesus, again, was absolutely true. Well, before he can get on his religious high horse saying, Yeah, Lord, I, I've done this. Yeah, this is, I'm good. And I mean, I, are you telling me I'm going to inherit eternal life? You know, instead of getting on his religious high horse and walking out into the sunset, we're told that Jesus looks at him, loved him, and then tells him, You lack one thing go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me i believe that when jesus was looking at this young man straight into the eye when he was just staring at him he was just he wasn't just staring at the outward appearance he wasn't just Seeing, oh, this guy has nice blue eyes or brown eyes, whatever. He wasn't just looking at, you know, seeing what he looked like. But it was also looking deep within this man's heart. He was piercing the soul and he was really seeing what was inside of him. He was seeing the true nature of this man. His inner struggle. The thing that, that one thing that he was searching for, the thing that made him seek out Jesus in, a purse, in the first place, he was seeing those things. And not only that, but I think he was also seeing what this man was capable of. He was seeing what, you know, what this man can actually do. And thus, I believe the reason, that, that's why it says that Jesus loved him. What is this kind of love? This is, if you look up that word, the word love here in the, in the Greek dictionary, in the, in the original language, this is the deep agape love that is compassionate, merciful, understanding, and selfish. This is the love that Jesus tell us, tells us how we ought to love one another. Again, it's a compassionate love. It's a merciful love. It's an understand, it's a love of understanding. And it's a selfless love. So with an insight of knowing the heart of this young man, his struggles, and what he was capable of, Jesus presents the gospel to him and gave him the freedom to decide whether to accept it or reject it or reject his offer. Jesus tells him, Jesus tells him to surrender the one thing. He doesn't tell him like all these things he needs to give up. He tells them, again, knowing what's in his heart, he tells them to give up, to surrender the one thing that he was holding on to, that he just did not want to give up, that was keeping him from having that true relationship. To, that, that, he was, that one thing that was binding him down, down the one thing that he were that he gave up if he gave up he'd find that, that that freedom that he was searching for that eternal perspective that eternal life that he was seeking after 
So when he tells him to give that, you know, as soon as he gives that up, he tells him, and then come and follow me. Sadly, as we can see in verse 20, 22, as much as this young man wanted eternal life, he just couldn't give up what he had in this world. He chose his temporal treasures over the eternal treasures in heaven. Now the other tragedy in the story was that this young man went away sad. The word we see here in our Bibles is that he went away grieving because he probably understood. He probably knew the choice he made. It says that, yeah, he went away sad because he had many possessions, but man, you have this person in front of you. You have Jesus Christ in front of you telling you what you need to do. And he knows in his heart what he needs to do. And he just can't. He just walks away and just, he can't. It's too much. I think that's something that a lot of people, a lot of Christians, or Christians too, but people who are just so close to really finding Jesus lack. Or they, 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 I think that's one of their biggest problems is they, they want to take that step and they want to follow Jesus. But deep within their, heart, in their hearts, they know what they have to surrender. And that's just too hard. And that's just too difficult. So they say, you know what? I'm better off doing it on my own. I'll figure this out. You know, I'll, you know, maybe I'll surrender right before I die. Unfortunately, many times it's too late. And I think this is also the case with many young men and women. They see the world ahead of them. They see a bright future and they see, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I, I know what I'm capable of. I know I can make all these riches. I know I can make all this money and I, I just have to apply myself and I have all these talents and, you know, but again, when they come and they're seeking, they come to Jesus seeking for answers. Jesus tells them, and they know, again, deep within their hearts, Jesus speaks to them and say, you know, I want you to surrender this thing and give it up to me and you will see. You will see how I will use you with those talents. But again, sadly, for the most part, they, it's too much, too much to give up. Now here are three facts from verses 21 to 23 that God wants to show us. I'm almost done here. Fact number one, we have a savior that sees deep within your heart too. He knows exactly what you're struggling with and what you're also capable of. Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, Yahweh, examine the mind. I test the heart to give to each according to his own way, according to what his actions deserve. And in Hebrews, the author says, For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive and find grace to help us at the proper time. Fact number two, 
you may be asked to completely surrender those things that mean the most to you so that he can give you the most of him. Paul said in Galatians 4.8, But in the past, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved through things that were in nature, not God's. And listen here what Job says in Job 11.13-15, yet, yet if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away that sin that's in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then... Free of fault, you will lift up your face. You will stand firm and without fear. Fact number three, Jesus Christ will never demand you to follow him. He will never threaten you. He won't order you to follow him. He will give you that choice. He will give you the freedom to choose to follow him. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and have dinner with him and he with me. And in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Paul says this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation as I conclude this morning let me ask you how will you come to Jesus and follow him Will you come to Jesus with the faith of a child? Or will you come to Jesus and walk away sad and empty because you value the treasures of this world more than the treasures in heaven? Allow me to remind you what Jesus said back in Mark chapter 8. He said, For what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his life? Ultimately, this choice is yours. However, your eternal destination ultimately depends on what you choose to do. How you live within the kingdom of God depends on what you choose to do. Will you choose to come to Jesus again with that heart of a child? Will you live this life with a childlike faith? Or will you walk up to him seeking answers, seeking help, seeking advice, but walk away sad and empty, grieving because you value these tre the treasures of this world. You value this world more than you value what God has to offer. Let me remind you of some of the things that, you know, there's, and it's not just money. It could be people as well. It could be family. It could be friends. It could be, you know, there's so many idols out there, so many things. Let me remind you that an idol is that which you've placed more important, that is a high, in a higher level than what God ought to be. 
that is an idol. Do you value those things more? And are you not willing to give those up? It's, again, it's, I know how difficult it is. I know, and again, God knows what those things are in your heart. You know what they are. Again, you have to make that choice. He gives you that choice. He won't take it away from you. I mean, unless it's, I mean, I'm not trying to get into another study here, but I mean, again, he, sometimes he will. He will forcefully take it away from you if he knows that, you know, it's not good for you. But for the most part, he does. He lets you make that choice. And he gives you the time to give it up. You all know. You all know what it is in your heart. I mean, I, he knows my heart as well. And there may be a few things that I'm still holding on to. But I do, and I pray. And this is what I suggest for you as well. When you pray, ask the Lord to reveal those things to you. And to make it plain, to make it known. Sometimes we know the, what they are, but we, we hide them so deep within us, we just don't want to acknowledge it, and we don't want to see it. But... Sometimes it does, it takes, it takes that prayer just, okay, it's that one thing. So again, what will your eternal destination ultimately depends on what you choose to do. With that, let's, let's pray. Lord God, um, thank you again for giving us these stories to learn from. Lord, we want to come to you like these children and just enjoy, just to, to just enjoy being in your presence, to have you lay your hands upon us and bless us. Lord, we do, we desire to, to have that childlike faith, to believe in you and to just live in, in, in your presence. Lord, we ask that you, that if we're keeping others from doing that, if we're the ones who are acting like the disciples, Lord, we ask that you help us see it, to recognize it, and not hinder others from coming to you with that childlike faith. Lord, give us the love that the love of Jesus, so that we may love others the way he loved these children, Lord. May we have that heart of affection, compassion, love towards everyone, Lord, even towards those people that we don't get along with, even with those people that just drive us up the wall and let us see them the way you see them, Lord. Give us that heart of Jesus. Lord, help us also understand those things that we haven't given up, that we're still holding on to, that we're clinging on to, because it's just too difficult to give up. Lord, if you're asking us, if that's what it is you're asking us to give them up, Lord, may we just freely surrender them to you. But understand that you're offering something so much better that even though it may be hurtful and may be painful and that Lord 
you have something greater, you have something better in store for us. You have, whether if, even if it's not in this world, you, we have treasures in waiting for us in heaven. And the ultimate treasure, the ultimate thing we're looking forward to is just being in your presence. Lord, take away those idols, take away those things that are more important to us than being in your presence and than being with you. Lord, we want you, we need you. Give us the strength, Lord, just to walk according to your will, according to your purpose, Lord. We don't want to wake away. We don't want to walk away sad and, and grieving. Because this world has more to offer us. Because we believe this world has more to offer us. If you're watching or listening, and if that's you, just and you're done and you're tired and you're just you want to just give surrender these things. Surrender your life over to Jesus Christ. Just pray this simple prayer in your heart. Lord, I surrender to you. I give everything that I have over to you. Forgive me for my sins. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I accept your forgiveness. And I ask you now that you fill me with the Holy Spirit. Help me to walk in obedience to you from now until I see you in heaven. Lord, I pray for all those who prayed that. And we find the peace that they've been looking for. For everyone here, Lord, I pray that you bless them, bless their week, bless their families, Lord. And just use them in a mighty way. That their light, of the, may the light of the Holy Spirit shine forth. And may be the, they be the, light, the salt and light in their works, in their communities, wherever they may be, Lord. Bless this time of fellowship. Bless what we're going to do right now, Lord. And, and uh, just bless the rest of this week, Lord. We love you and we praise you. Jesus' name. Amen.